Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you who are worried about feedback, we're going to take care of that in three seconds. One, two, three. No more. See? And then for those of you who are wondering, they still have their Christmas stuff up. You know, we're just going to leave it up all year, so Christmas cheer is in our heart all the year long. Besides, I like the Christmas Jesus the best. Little eight pounds, six ounce, baby Jesus. Don't know a word yet. You're swaddling clothing, just sucking your thumb. I like Easter Jesus, too. Amen. Well, praise the Lord, anybody. Uh, last, if you were here last Sunday, just rave, rave, Saturday, night. Or Saturday night, yeah, true. Wave your hand at me, good. So you heard the message. Today's going to be part two. If you, uh, anybody go on the podcast and listen, yeah, good, too. Thank you, awesome. couple more. Well, just uh, today we're going to just kind of go into, I promised last week as I was talking about vision for our lives, today I'm going to, I really want to talk about um, how you practically do that. And so um, I want to start in the book of Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse 2. I'm going to read out of the new uh, American Standard updated version. And the Lord answered me and he said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. Everybody say run. run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Say it will not fail. It will not fail. Though it tarries. Everybody know what tarry mean? That means wait. Hang on. Just a second. Not yet. Though it tarries, wait for it. Say, I'm going to wait for it. For it will certainly come. Say, it will certainly come. It will not delay. So last week again, I was talking about how every single one of us needs to have a vision for your life. Right? We've got to have a target that we're aiming at. Say, I need a target. Every one of us needs a goal, a target, a vision in which we are aiming our lives at. Now, I shared this, that a bit of wisdom that I gained through the years is this. And you've all heard it probably before. At least you heard it last week. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it. Every single time. If you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it. You will be 100%. So, my question is, are you feeling frustrated? You know, are you lacking some motivation? Have you been spinning your tires? Well, it's time to develop a vision for your life. You've got to have a target. Where do you want to go this year? Where do you want to go? What do you want to accomplish? 
You know, I said last week that having a vision is, is beginning with the end in mind. Having a vision means I, I have a destination. I know where that is. I know where I want to go. I'm going to Florida. I know I'm going there. That's the end in mind. I'm not there yet. But I can't get to Florida if I don't think I'm going to Florida. So we got to begin with the end in mind. Where is the destination? Where am I going? And before we take the first step, we need to have some idea of what it looks like. Beginning with the end in mind gives us that target that we're supposed to be aiming for. And everybody has one, whether you know it or not. You've got a target for when you're going to wake up. You've got a target for what kind of grades you've got to get in school. You've got a target how much money you want to make. You've got targets. We just don't always know that they're a target. But beginning with the end in mind, it gives us that target. It's, it gives us that destination. You know, it, it shows us what mountain to climb. You know, it tells us which ocean to navigate or, or which valley we should be crossing. Right? Psalm 23, verse 4 says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We got that scripture up? I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Can someone say amen? amen. Now, David, who is the psalmist here, He's telling us that we will go through rough times. In fact, Jesus promises in the New Testament, you will have trouble. You will. So we've got an Old Testament and a New Testament word telling us, you're going to go through valleys. And rough times is what the valley of the shadow of death is all about. It's a place that I feel like I could just die here. Anybody been there? You might be there right now. The valley of the shadow of death, it just, that's what it feels like. I could just die here. Oh. But David had a vision that gave him power to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And he tells us what that was in the beginning of this psalm. So let's look at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So the destination... The vision where David was going was what? Green pastures and still waters. Everybody say green pastures and still waters. Without a vision where God is leading us, we tend to end up setting up camp in the valley of the shadow of death. 
And the way we set up camp in the valley, the way we set up camp while we're in the valley, is we start blaming everyone and everything for why we're here. Oh, it's not me, it's them. It's you. That's how you set up camp in the valley. You start blaming. You know, it's the economy. It's the president. It's the Republicans or the Democrats. You know, it's because daddy and mommy never loved me. You see, when we don't keep our eyes on the prize, then all we see is our lack. If we don't keep the vision before us, then all we see is what we don't have and what we're not doing. Everybody says that's a bummer. When we pitch a fit, we're also pitching a tent right in the middle of Misery Valley. God gets smaller, and your problems get a lot bigger. Now, here's another great lesson I learned from the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And that is every single one of us has a circle of influence, and we have a circle of concern. And our circle of concern is just that. Inside that circle of concern, it has everything that we can be consciously concerned about but have no control over. It's things like the weather or the economy, you know, what a certain person or persons think about me. Our circle of concern contains only things we are concerned about but we have no control over it. Now then there's our circle of influence. And every person on the planet, all of us, start with only one thing in his or her circle of influence. Guess what that is? Me. I'm it. We start life where I am the only thing in my circle of influence. When it all comes down to it, we are the only thing that we can control. Anybody knows what that's called? It's a fruit. Self-control. So important. God said this is one of the major fruits of your life. I can't control the weather. I can't control the economy. I can't control conflicts in other nations. I can't control my spouse. I can't control my boss or my children even. My parents. No one. I can control no one. And Seven Habits teaches that when we spend most of our mental and emotional energy focused on the things that are in our circle of concern, then we end up giving our power away. 
We become weak because my life is now victimized by other people's decisions. When I focus on the things I'm concerned about, but I have no control over, I become a victim of their choices. When I give my power away, I'm focusing on what I can't control. And guess what happens then? I limit my capacity to grow or enlarge my circle of influence. However, if I choose to focus my mental and emotional energy on the things I can influence, the thing I can change, which is me, my circle of influence begins to enlarge itself. Everybody say it gets bigger. Remember the prayer of Jabez? And it was hot about five, six, eight, ten years ago. Enlarge my territory. Oh, God, you can't do that when you're always worried about everyone else. You can only do that when I'm worried about me. See, I can control my attitudes. I can control my behaviors, my thoughts. I have control over my own education. I have control over my half of all my relationships. My emotions, my health, my finances, the list goes on and on and on. I have control over those things. And when you choose to keep your power, you enlarge your circle of influence and your life starts to prosper. Everybody say prosper. Man, prosper means success. Good things start happening around you. Doors, opportunities, relationships, they all start to flourish when you focus on your circle of influence. And what happens is as that circle begins to enlarge itself, other people actually and willingly come into your circle of influence. How many of you know that you're here today and you're in my circle of influence? Just a little. Hopefully, the words that are coming out of my mouth are going to change something for you today. You're allowing yourself to be influenced by the revelation of God's word in my heart. And you all have circles of your own. How big is it? Are you giving your power away? Or are you staying strong? See, when your circle of influence starts to enlarge itself, then, then what happens is children begin to honor and respect. Spouses feel conviction for how they behave towards you. Do you believe that? I got a scripture that even proves that one. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. When you focus on your circle of influence, which is you. You can even bring in your spouse. First Peter 3.1 says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, 
so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your life. So what's Peter telling? He's saying to wives, to women, be the stronger spouse. That's what he's saying. Ladies, man up. Focus on what you can control, you. Focus on what you can control, your attitude, your heart, your behavior. Peter is telling them that if you will keep your power and live quiet and strong for God, your hard-hearted husband will be won over. That's power. That's a promise. This isn't like an experiment. Well, Peter's like, you know, well, I got this idea. Try this out. I hope it works. Let me know. I'll revise the letter if it doesn't. I'll do an addendum. Oops, forget my third chapter, verse 1 and 2 stuff. Didn't work. No. These are the words of God. Telling us to focus on who? Me. You can't control him, so stop giving your power away. Stop focusing on him and focus only on what you are concerned about and focus on what you can change. You. That's it. And you know what? This isn't just for wives that have hard-hearted husbands. Okay? This works at your job. This works at school. This works in sports. With your friends. With your family. This works everywhere you live it. So keep your power by focusing on your circle of influence. Me. I can't control the words that come out of your mouth to me, but I can control the words that come out of my mouth to you. Jesus had a lot of opportunities. He could have just, you know, took some people out. They lied. They cursed. They spit. He could have said, but I'm the Messiah and you're not treating me right. Now you can't see. Now you see me? Now you don't. Now you see me? Now you don't. I mean, come on. He could have gave it up. He could have done anything. But it says he was silent. He had a vision where he was going, and it was his own death. So a God-ordained vision, it gives us something to look forward to. It gives us hope. It gives us future. It gives us an opportunity to be like God. A good, God-ordained vision gives us an opportunity to be like God. It gives us a chance to create something out of nothing. 
something out of nothing. That's the power of God. I don't have a good marriage. You're right. That, so you got nothing. Go create something. Be like God. Create. Focus on your circle of concern or your influence. Don't set up camp in the valley. Head for the mountain of the Lord. And you know what? I, I understand that mountains are hard to climb. Anybody tried it? I did when I was in Boy Scouts. Did a high adventure scout trick where we, for six days, we carried all our food, our packs, our everything we needed to live, and we just hiked the trails in New Mexico. Climbed uh, Old Baldy, one of the small mountains. It was a day trip. <laughs> and it wasn't easy. Even for a little 95-pound, 14-year-old. <laughs> it was pretty grueling, actually. But I know mountains are hard to climb. You know, setting a vision and going after it is hard work. But you know what's harder? Not having a budget and dealing with the financial problems and stress that that creates. You know what's harder? It's not loving your kids on purpose and dealing with drugs and sex and rebellion. That's so much harder. You know what's harder? It's not loving and respecting your spouse for so long that divorce finally has its way. And it destroys you financially, Emotionally and mentally. That is much, much, much harder than the hard work of climbing a mountain that God promises I will be with you every step of the way. So how do we create a vision? A lot of times it starts with identifying a problem. One aspect, and it's just one aspect of a good vision, is it solves a problem either for you or for someone else. You know, pain is a great motivator. Pain is a great big sign pointing to a problem in our lives. Whether it's a pain in our body or a pain in our relationship, emotional pain, financial pain, it really doesn't matter. Pain has a way of getting our attention. And once pain has our attention, we start to investigate the problem. You know, one of the best stories that illustrates this is, is the story of Nehemiah. For those of you maybe not familiar with the book of Nehemiah, some of the background information about this book is God had promised Israel 
that if they obeyed him, he would bless them as a nation. And if they did not, he would judge them and cause them to be taken into captivity. And so, as we know, that so frequently happens among a lot of Israel's leaders, a good thing had an unfortunate ending. So, ultimately, through a whole bunch of idolatry and immorality in Israel, God's hand of judgment fell on Israel because of their sin. And so the northern kingdom fell first, and the people that were in the northern kingdom were uh, taken into captivity by Assyria. And that was about 722 B.C. And then after that, then the southern kingdom fell, and they were put into captivity uh, with the Babylonians. The Babylonians came and took them, and that was about 586 B.C. And so the Israelites in the northern kingdom were absorbed into Assyria and eventually into other cultures. However, the people from the southern kingdom remained intact in Babylon. And after the the power of Babylon was broken by the Medes and the Persians, which was 539 B.C., then the Jews began to return To their homeland. And so here we have the story of Nehemiah right in the middle of all that. Let's start in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. So right here in this passage, we see pain presenting itself. Pain just showed up in the life of Nehemiah. And what did it say that he did? It said he wept. He mourned, he fasted, and he prayed to God. I believe because he did those things, wept, fasted, and prayed, the rest of the story of the book of Nehemiah is about how God, with a lot of hard work by Nehemiah, And the Jewish people, but how God, through Nehemiah, the Jewish people, restored Jerusalem. So let me ask you, where is your pain? Where are you hurting the most 
right now? What is it that saddens your heart? Is it your finances? Is it your marriage? Your job, school? Your health? Maybe it's your kids. What is it? What's hurting you right now? Is it hungry children? Orphans? Is it sex slavery? Abortion? Maybe it's traditional marriage. What is it that's hurting your heart right now? Whatever it is, you have to develop a vision for the solution. You have to. And maybe you've got 10 things that hurt your heart. Maybe you have six problems you need to overcome in your life. This is where prayer and fasting come in. Seek the Lord and ask him, God, where do I start? What needs to be fixed first? I mean, the reality is, is you can't fix all your problems at once. That's just the fact of it. But you have to start working on something. You, you can't solve every injustice that's in the world. But you can start making a stand for something right now. Right now. Now, there's something you got to understand about solving problems. To be able to overcome your problem, you have to live by true faith. Everybody say faith. I have to live by faith. I have to live by faith. Now let's hear it from this side. I have to live by faith. Amen. To be able to overcome your problem, you have to live by true faith. Now here's what I mean by that. Let me explain it. When it comes to problems, especially life problems, we have to check whether we really are walking by faith. In other words, we are, are, we, are we walking by faith or are we living in denial? Are we walking by faith or are we really just living in denial? And here's how you know the difference. You see, living by faith and having a true vision from the Lord means that you can look the problem straight in the eye and not flinch. True faith says, I can, I can have a, a, a vision from the Lord, and when I look at the problem, I'm not concerned. Now, some people think they're living by faith, but they're actually living in denial. You see, faith gives us strength to face even the biggest opponents in life. 
Think about David and Goliath. I mean, this dude wants to kill him. And he can really well. I mean, he's a good, tall, killing machine. Bred for it. Trained for it. And now you're in his sights. I'm going to kill you, little dog. But did David look at Goliath and go, wait, whoa, wait a second. You're taller than I thought. You're kind of big. He went in with what? What did he have? He had a vision and faith. He said, today, here's his vision. He said, today, God's going to give you to me. That's his vision. He didn't care what he looked like. He didn't care who he was. He didn't care how big he was. Today, you're going to be this dog's bone. Faith gives us strength to look the problem in the eye. But some people think they're living by faith by not looking at the problem. They quote scripture and make good confessions, but they never look the problem in the face. See, you can't say I'm living by faith and not balance your checkbook. Oh, God will provide. You can't say you're living by faith and refuse to have that lump checked out. You're living in denial. See, true faith isn't scared by the depth of darkness. But what if it's cancer? Where's your faith? True faith looks at the problem square in the eyes and says, I'm not impressed. Ducking your head under the sand, pulling the blanket over your head, and then quoting scripture is not faith. Pulling the blinds and sleeping all day. Oh, that's not faith. Some of you should be really excited right now. All right, let's keep going. Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's look at verse 11. Closer to the end than when I was when I started. So, Have faith. This too shall pass. Chapter 2, verse 11. I went to Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah speaking again. After staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Underline that. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and then the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and reentered through the valley gate. 
The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Oh, there's pain again. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me, and they replied, Let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. Say, good work. Nehemiah did what? He went out to see the problem face to face. Looked it square in the eyes. He checked out everything that could possibly be wrong. And here's what you don't ever hear Nehemiah say. You know, as he's going, you don't don't read, if I see one more burned gate, I'm through. I'm over it. I can't take it anymore. There's just so many burned gates, so many holes in the wall. Too many problems with these walls, too many gates to fix. Nope. Doesn't ever say that, does he? See, he had such a God-sized vision that he didn't even flinch. I mean, what did verse 12 say? It says, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Nehemiah was completely convinced of the vision God had given him. God gave him a vision to rebuild the walls and the gates. You will know you have a God-ordained vision. And that you are living in true faith when you can look at your own problems straight in the eye and not flinch. If your problems can cause you to doubt your vision, you might not have a God-ordained vision. So where do we begin? Let's look at some areas in our life that we need a vision from the Lord. In fact, every one of you, if you got a bulletin, you should have a little insert. If you would, pull that out, because that's what I'm referring to. Practical, practical stuff. Huh? There are more in the back if you need one and you didn't get one. If your problem can cause you to doubt your vision, you might not have a God-ordained vision. It's not big enough. It's not God-sized enough. So when it comes to creating a vision for our lives, there's some areas in our life that we need to have focused on. And the very first one is your relationship with God. This is the bedrock from which everything else in your life lives or dies. Okay? 
from this place, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, out of that, everything in your life lives or dies. And so what should we be growing in? We should be growing in our knowledge of God. We should have a vision for growth in your love and your devotion to God. What kind of lover am I going to be? A cheap one? Who likes a cheap date? Most of you didn't get married because your other person was cheap and selfish. Some of you may have, but we only talk about the cool ones. Those are the ones we celebrate. Those are the ones we make movies about, you know. Need a vision for your quiet times, your Bible study. Need a vision for your character. You going to quit gossiping this year? You going to quit talking about other people so negatively? Need a vision for fasting and prayer. You know, listening to anointed teaching. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing. Hearing comes through what? The word. the word. If you said, Tom, you talked about faith today, mine's kind of bleh. Guess what you need? Word. To hear the word of God. Just like you're hearing right now. In fact, this, this aspect of your relationship with God is so important. It's the bedrock. Let's read Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse 24. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall. Underline that. Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone, and say I'm a part of everyone. You are a part of everyone. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great and mighty crash. You see, and I think I said this last week, I believe... Probably 90% of problems come of, by a failure to live by the words of God. I really do. I believe that 90% of your pain, your struggles, the things we're going through, financial, relational, parental, spousal issues, they come from a failure to live by the words of Jesus. And here's what I want you to know. If the words of Jesus have no authority to shape your life, then you have no authority to succeed in life. If the words of Jesus have no authority to shape your life, to change you, to guide, lead, correct, rebuke you. If they have no authority, meaning I don't let them do what they're supposed to do, then you have no authority to succeed in this life. Your house is built on sand. Whoever hears these words of mine and does them, practices them, storms come, 
rivers crash, waves beat, winds blow, and I'm still here. I'm still surviving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. No one remembers that song? Come on, Mike Brown. You see, our love connection with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has really one great big conclusion. We live by what Jesus said was important to him. I mean, John 14 and 15, it says, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. The fruit of your ginormous love connection, the fruit of you up here waving your hands, singing your songs, being in the presence of God, feeling his love and giving it back, the fruit of all of this is your obedience to what he said was important. Amen? Okay, so the next area is your relationships in your home. Every one of us needs a vision for our marriage. We need a vision if you're single. What am I going to do? How am I going to maintain my purity? What's my goal? We need vision for how we're going to, what kind of parents are we going to be? What kind of kids are we going to raise? We've got to have a vision for our finances. You have to tell your money where to go. You have to. You will suffer every day for the rest of your life if you don't. Your health. What do you want to do this year with your health? You want to lose some pounds? You want to eat healthier? You want to exercise? You won't do it if you don't have a vision. Ask anyone who's lost a bunch of weight, did you lose it by just showing up and kind of wandering around the gym? Nope. I knew I was going to lose this much. I needed to work out on these machines. I needed to eat these foods. You have to have a vision. Next area is our relationship with God's family, the church. So what's your vision for being in community with other Christians? When are you going to start doing some disciple making? It was a command Jesus gave to all of us. Everyone. Make disciples of nations. When we disobey commands, we are in what? When you know what you ought to do and you don't do it, James says what? Don't say that real loud. It's what? It's sin. Ouch. I'm sorry. What's your vision for your gifts and your calling, your abilities? How about conflict resolution? How are you growing in that? How are you doing with being in alignment with our vision and purpose as a church? God's called you here. He's called you to help serve the vision of this house. And the fourth area is our relationships with the world. So what's your vision for your job or your career? How about your relationship to your employer or your coworkers, your employees? What kind of boss do you want to be? 
a tyrant or someone that everybody wants to go work for? How about your work ethic? What's your vision for that? Mike shared, how about evangelism? What are you going to do this year? You realize if we reach 100 people, that's 10 people a month. We're already halfway through January. We got some catching up to do. How about solving social injustices? We're light and we're salt. We're here to, to be a solution. Not just to have, you know, a balanced checkbook, but to fight for the orphan, the widow, the alien, those who don't have a voice, those who don't have power or strength. You got to have a vision. We have to have a vision. So here are just the super practical steps for how you get and get your vision. You can flip that over if you haven't. <coughs> Figure out what hurts or needs improving. You know, not everything, not every vision has to be out of pain. That's why I said it's just an aspect. Sometimes something's good in your life and it needs to be better. You need a vision for that. After you figure out what hurts or needs improving, then you need to investigate that problem. You need to know all the facts about it, what's going on. And then you need to do the next thing that Nehemiah did. He prayed and he fasted. And then we do what Habakkuk says and we write that vision down. It's in my head, okay? Write it down. Put it on paper. And start creating steps on how you're going to accomplish the vision. You know, we're never going to reach 100 people for Jesus if there's no plan. Oh, God will just bring them. No, he won't. He hasn't yet. We didn't get 100 people saved last year. You think God wanted 100 people saved last year? How about the year before that? And the year before that? How about this year? Do you think he wants 100 people saved? Okay. So it's not a problem on his end. Do we get that? It's our problem. So create some steps on how you're going to accomplish that. And then here's a really good one. You need to tell someone. You need to let someone besides yourself know. So they can hold you accountable. How are you doing? You said you were going to be this kind of dad. I saw you just scream your head off. How's that working for you? Whoa. And then, last thing you got to do to make it work is live it by faith. You have to live by real faith. You have to do hard things. God gave you grace to work hard. He gave us all grace to work really, really hard. God is, is I believe, really going to do a new thing in this year for us. I believe, again, it's the seventh year since we went a new direction, and I believe we're going to 
finish some things and start some new stuff. We're going to do a better job of living out the vision and purpose of why New Covenant's on the map. You're going to do a better job this year of living out your vision and your purpose for why God puts you on the map. The kingdom of heaven needs all of us. Every one in this room. Someone's not going to do your job for you. We can't. You've been uniquely and specifically put together to reveal God in a way that not one other person can reveal him. Let's stand and we'll just pray. Father, we just, we, we just say we love you. And because we love you, God, we're going to obey you. What's important to you is what is important to me. And so this year, God, I, I ask, Lord, that you would help us. Oh, God, help us, help us, help us to have a vision to create steps, to create it, to, to, to accomplish it. And strengthen our faith to walk it out in reality, God. Lord, I just feel hope. I feel excitement. I see new things, Father. Help us, God, to live it out in a way that brings you ultimate glory. Forgive us, Father, for living with no restraint. Forgive us for not limiting the options by staying focused on where we're going. Forgive us, God, and heal us, Father, from bad decisions from last year, God. Heal my heart, God, of the bad attitudes that I let take my heart and just run, God. Restore in me, God, a right heart. Cleanse me, God. Make me whole. That I may live powerfully for you. Just tell the Lord right now, I will live powerfully for you. Just tell him in your heart, just say, I will live powerfully for you. God, I will give you all of my strength. I will give you all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my love. I will give you my strength, God, this year. The strength of my money, my time, my emotions. I will live powerfully this year, God. And we will see a generation captured for the praise of Jesus. We bless you, God. We thank you. Thank you for the reset button. 
thank you for the reset button. We will build our house on the rock. In Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen. Like Mike said, if you want salvation, you want to come to Jesus, come right over here. He'll be, altar team will be over here. If you want prayer for anything, Pastor Eric has something. Just before you leave, um, there was a word of knowledge that came forth earlier uh, concerning uh, a spirit of infirmity and sickness. And if you're in here and need physical touch, the altar team ministry is going to pray for you. I also want to challenge you. Next Sunday, we're going to have the missionaries from Russia in with us, Erica and Marinda. And I have no doubt that even them coming is going to be concerning even this as far as vision and God doing a work in our hearts to get us to see um, some different things from a, from a ministry and missionaries and what others are going through in other nations. I think God's really trying to change our perspective. And so I pray that you will come next Sunday to hear Eric and Marinda. God's doing a tremendous work in their hearts. Even Marinda went through a tremendous physical attack on her body. We prayed for her many, many months ago, but God healed her of these tumors in her stomach, and she is back fighting uh, the, the, the call of the gospel on their lives. And so I just really want to encourage you to come and allow God to minister to our hearts. Every time they come, we get a vision in this house uh, of ministry and outreach and, and, and the call to win the lost. And so I really want to encourage you to come. It's really going to be an evangelistic uh, service, I believe. But if you also need prayer today for healing, please come up here and also for salvation. You feel the call of the Lord calling your heart. God comes after you. <laughs> God comes after you. And if God is coming after you and you feel him drawing you, please come up here with Mike's team and uh, allow them to pray with you. But God bless you and have a blessed day. Amen.